3: Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Women's Football Weekly. On TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game.
4: Well, the momentum is with them now.
3: Including the Women's Super League. Clean up the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers.
4: Lana Cullen striking from outside the penalty area.
3: World beating, big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scores. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2.
0: And welcome to this Women's Football Weekly Update. I'm Faker Others, and over the next hour we're returning to our roots and keeping you up to speed with all the latest developments in the women's game. We'll discuss the FA's statement on the potential cancellation of both the Women's Super League and Championship. Find out if we're any closer to knowing Phil Neville's replacement as England manager and what do you think about the FA's game plan for growth findings. West Ham manager Matt Beard will be giving you his thoughts along with Molly Hudson from The Times. And you'll hear from not one but two Lionesses, Karen Bardsley and Ellen White. Women's Football Weekly with Faker others. Hi, I'm Jordan Nobbs and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. Welcome along to Women's Football Weekly on this Monday evening. It is six o'clock. And I am joined by West Ham manager Matt Beard and sports journalist at The Times, Molly Hudson. Social distancing rules still apply, of course. They're both broadcasting from home while I'm here in the studio. Good evening, both.
4: Good evening. Good evening. Are you all right, Molly? <laughs> yeah. Are you awake? Yeah, I'm awake. <laughs>
2: I'm good. I'm uh, well. It's been quite a busy day, hasn't it?
0: <laughs> it has just a little bit. I mean, why don't we just go straight on into that? Because at around about half past three. This afternoon, a statement dropped from the FA regarding the 1920 season. Let me just pick um, the main bulk of it out for you. This is what they said. Following an assessment of the protocols required to return to football and feedback from clubs, it's clear there will be significant challenges in completing the 2019-20 season. We're continuing to consult with the clubs on the possibility of terminating the season and in the event it appears to be the only realistic way forward to then seek views on the most appropriate sporting outcome for the season. This includes identifying entries for the 2021 UEFA Women's Champions League, which would be based on sporting merit from the Barclays FAWSL season. Our overriding ambition is to give the clubs, players and stakeholders in the game the support and clarity they need during these challenging circumstances and to help and enable women's football to continue to thrive in the future. Uh, Matt Beard, as manager of West Ham, what was your initial reaction? action to that statement.
4: Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's got to be safe um, for for the staff, the players, um, for us to continue the season. Um, I know the FA have worked incredibly hard to to try and, you know, get a re- resolution on this for everyone. Um, but as I say, at the end of the day, it's, it's got to be safe for us and. Um, You know, I will will give them some credit with this because I I know there's been some sort of uh, negative press out about the way they've handled everything. You know, they've been completely reliant on the protocols and the government stuff Mm. uh, being sent out. So when, you know, you've got legislation being sent out on sort of Wednesday after a statement on the Sunday, it doesn't help, you know, help everyone in the situation. But this, as I said, it is is what it is. You know, the most important thing is that everyone is, is, is safe and well and... Um, we will get back to football at some point.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point Matt. Um, You know, the FA and the Premier League and the EFL everybody is kind of in a lose-lose situation really because you're not going to be able to satisfy absolutely everybody. You have to try and do the best that you possibly can. Uh, Molly Hudson from the Times, I know you have strong views on this. Surely it's just down to money, isn't it now? Because when you're talking about figures that were bandied around, uh, when you were talking about testing for for League 2 of 140,000 pounds to finish the season and that's just testing alone surely with women's football that is what the big problem is here.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's important to echo what what Matt said really it's it's a really difficult situation and obviously player safety is is paramount and is the most important thing. I think, you know, obviously as you say you you look at the kind of financial figures being thrown about for the men's game and you automatically assume that you know maybe maybe that won't be possible with the women's game but i don't actually think it's just the finances i think it's actually the logistics of it i mean we've seen today with the premier league that yes they're agreeing to come back to socially distance training but there's there's still a huge amount of uncertainties about how contact training might look like and how match play might look like And we have to remember that they're the same problems that the men's game are facing and we know how much broadcast money is involved and how desperate everyone is to get that back so I think if it shows the difficulties that the Premier League are having, then of course the Women's League are only going to have more difficulties, really, in the fact that everything is is kind of less established and um, has has less finances in the game. And
0: sometimes it's just not helpful, is it, to compare the two because they are different?
2: Yeah, exactly. And and I I wrote a piece last week basically saying that I, d- I don't think we should worry too much about you know if the if the Premier League does. Hopefully, and hopefully it does. Go ahead with project restart. That doesn't mean that we automatically should have to have that for the women's super league. I think it's really important to recognise actually what is best for the women's game, what is best for it now, and more importantly, what is it best for it going forward. And you know, the FA have echoed that in the statement that that, that they released today.
0: Mm, Matt, it sounded to me when I read uh, the statement that that cancellation is pretty much around the corner. That was my interpretation. Of it, it just seems like they're trying to thrash out how to fairly finish the league. If if that's the case, what is the fairest way to finish the league?
4: Um, I I think just to get back to your point a second ago, this league's only a year and a half old. Everyone has to remember, you know, the Premier League's many years old. Um, But the fairest way is is there needs to be some, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, there needs to be some sort of sporting outcome, whether that's points per game. whether they add in promotion relegation to that, I'm I'm not too sure because we've really only completed sort of seventy five percent of the season, so there's still plenty of games for you know the teams like Liverpool, Bristol, and Birmingham that I probably would say are in the relegation um, fight, and then obviously you need to get an outcome for the two Champions League spots and and, and the league, so. It's going to, for us, we're, we're safe, so it's, it's going to be some tough decisions that are going to make, need to be made on this.
0: And, and when the consultation, I know you're not directly part of this consultation process, although obviously you, you have an opinion, um, what is being put forward because the teams in your position for example where it doesn't directly affect you are you pretty much will go with the majority or are you very much the integrity of the competition is the most important thing
4: Um, I've not been party to the call so I can't I can't talk about sort of what's been said on the the consultation Um, and at the end of the day it's, it's, it's for the FA and And the owners of the clubs to make that decision. It's not my decision. Whatever decision's made, obviously, you know, we'll respect that.
0: We've we've obviously seen, and I don't want to keep comparing it to League Two, but we've seen clubs in League Two who were just outside the playoffs, for example, doing it for the greater good, deciding to to cancel the league for the greater good of the league itself and for, and for football, bearing in mind the money that's involved and and essentially, you know, foregoing their playoff place uh, when you look at the likes of, uh, of Port Vale, for example. Um, it's very difficult, though, isn't it? Because you've got three teams at the top. If we look at the top first and foremost, Molly, um, Manchester City top on 40 points, 16 games, Chelsea in second, 39 points with a game in hand. If it was to be done on a points-per-game basis... Chelsea have the better points-per-game ratio and would therefore be champions. But then it gets sticky with Arsenal in third because there's only two Champions League places.
2: Yeah, I think, again, as Matt touched on there, I think, in a way, deciding whether to end the season or to continue playing is almost the easier decision than to then decide how you decide promotion and relegation. Because, naturally, there's going to be so many teams that have a vested interest in in how that is played out, whether it's, whether it is per points per game. And obviously it's a difficult one because we've seen, you know, all over Europe, different leagues have, have taken different kinds of routes with this. Um, the, Fre- the French league, Lyon were champions um, and Marseille and Metz were relegated, but then in Spain, Barcelona um, were champions, but there wasn't any relegation. So I think, you know, it is a difficult one to look at and particularly with the champions league, it feels like with those tops clubs, there was such momentum. I mean, obviously one of the last games was, was Manchester City-Chelsea and it was that 3-3 draw and it was so exciting. And We were sort of poised for this title race to go right, right down to the wire. Um, and of course, on points per game and probably the best team this season has been Chelsea, but as we've seen time and time again in this league... The gaps really closing between those top three clubs and everyone else, and there's no there's no guarantee. You know that that's the one good thing about football. You really can't tell what is going to happen next. So I think, you know, whoever comes out on the on the wrong end of this decision, if you want to put it that way, will be will be rightly a bit upset about it. But again you know, there's going to be winners and losers and ultimately you're never going to find a, a perfect solution in this scenario.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and, and that's pretty much what, what Matt was saying um, as well. And of course, you you have to bring in Aston Villa, who are top of the championship, six points clear. And if, for example, um, there was a decision taken that no relegation would take place this season, that's pretty harsh on them, Matt.
4: Um, Yeah, but I mean... I mean, what can you do? I mean, no one wants this, you know. Is there's thousands of people losing their lives, um, you know, uh, over the last few months. And, you know, for, for me, look, if if there's no promotion relegation, it is what it is. We've just got to accept it and, and move forward. Like I said, this this is up. We're a year and a half old as, as a full-time professional league, obviously with a championship as well. Um, you know, to have this phone upon you, you know, a year and a half in it's 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 a crazy situation but as i said no one there's going to be teams that are going to be happy teams could be unhappy you know as i said it's just a situation that that we're in and and we just have to be professional and, and and deal with it
0: yeah that's a really important point you know we're talking about life and death here we're talking about a situation that is unprecedented um it's very difficult when you're talking about football to, to, to miss that point, but that point is always there and it is very pertinent as, as well. But if you're looking at it from a footballing perspective, slightly aside, then you're thinking growth of the game, future of the game, and everything else, um, which is not to belittle anything uh, that's happened in the grand scheme of what the coronavirus pandemic has done. But we're purely looking at it at the moment from um, a game perspective. Um, the FA said they basically want to help and enable women's football to continue to thrive in the future. Um, that kind of money that's going to be there with testing and things like that, that, that clubs will have to shell out. You know, we don't want to see clubs fold like we've seen AFC filed, um, folding, um, Reading having to furlough staff. And that's something else that perhaps when they are coming to this conclusion is something they have to take into account, Molly.
2: Yeah, of course. And I think I think that's something that, that is important that whatever decision we made now, you know, I know, I know it is frustrating. It's frustrating for all of us. Uh, I'm sure it's frustrating for Matt, for his players, for, for, you know, everyone that this this sort of conversation continues and continues. But it's really important that we do come to the right decision. And yes, nobody is going to be, not every single person and every single club is going to be happy. But you know, you want to try and make the best of what is a really, really difficult situation. It's a situation that nobody would have expected. Um, but I think we, we just have to be sensible in terms of what is the best for the women's game and really try and focus on that and, and the nuances in that decision rather than trying to worry about even what other other women's leagues are doing. Because ultimately, it's a very unique situation. Every women's league is different. Every women's league has been around for, for a different amount of years. And as a a different amount of professionalism. I mean, you take the Women's Super League and, and the Women's Championship, even, you know, they're still very different divisions. So I think it's just important that, you know, the the right decision is made and, and hopefully that will then help the game going forward. Because it seems like it was a very long time ago, but we're, we're on such such a wave of women's football. We're seeing, you know, some brilliant, brilliant play in the WSL this season. We've seen how much the league has improved and how competitive it is. And, you know, everyone ultimately wants wants football back, but it just depends on the, be- the best way to do that.
0: Mm, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. Earlier on, we put a poll out on Twitter asking whether you, the listeners, think that the FAWSL and Championship seasons should be allowed to continue or had to be cancelled. 36% of you said continue the season. 64% though said void it. Um, right, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson from The Times alongside me Faker Rother's. Did you know that you can actually listen to us whenever you like now because we are a podcast by the way if you didn't know. If you miss us on Talk Sport 2 on a Monday evening before six, between 6 and 7 don't worry because you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast on Spotify and Apple products. Uh, next we will continue this conversation and look into Lewis FC's idea of broadcasting games alongside the men's.
3: Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others.
5: Hi, I'm Frank Kirby and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. This
0: is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with me, Faker Ruthers, alongside, socially distancing alongside, uh, I use that in the loosest form, West Ham manager Matt Beard and sports journalist at the Times, Molly Hudson, with us this evening. Just to carry on from the conversation we were having beforehand regarding uh, the resumption or not, potential termination of the WSL season and the championship season, Um, Lewis FC came out with... uh, an interesting idea I want to put to both of you. Um, They believe that if the the season should continue and they want the government and broadcasters to broadcast elite-level women's football alongside elite-level men's football should games resume behind closed doors. Um, Matt Beard, what do you think of that suggestion?
4: I think it's a good idea. Um, I read the the statement the other day. Um, I think... Of the biggest challenge is obviously the the Super League have uh, a broadcast deal and the Premier League have a broadcast deal, so it's not just as, as easy as saying this is what should happen. There's obviously things that need to be taken into consideration with that. Um, but as I say, I think it's a good idea.
0: Molly, we've talked about this before on this show, haven't we? And, you know, we've talked about the exposure that women's football needs, particularly uh, with broadcasting um, rights, you know, on the table being discussed. Um, Kelly Simmons uh, from the FA has said that, you know, there is an appetite um, from broadcasters uh, to, to, to bring more rights to the table. Uh, what do you think of this idea?
2: yeah I think, I think as you say we've spoken it, spoken about it a lot on the show and it's it's a really important issue how, how we can get the most exposure to the women's game. Um, and I think actually that it is a really good idea in principle. and of course if you can get the women's game back on then then you want to capture all of those eyes that you know've we've, so, we've been so excited about the Bundesliga this weekend. And a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have watched the Bundesliga have seen it. and theres there's no reason to think that that couldn't happen for women's football. But at the same time, I think if you look at the time scale of everything now, and let's just assume somehow the finances were found for women's football to continue, for it to go ahead and be played behind closed doors. You look at all of the men's football games in this country that that are going to be on TV and just the appetite for that much football. I think it's almost like the argument we had um, about Euro 2020. And 2021, 2022, 2023 and how everything was, was so compact and you almost run the risk of comparing the two, which we really don't want to do. Um, but I think look, it, it is a nice idea, but I just don't think it's, it's probably realistic in terms of women's football getting back to start with. And then secondly, just the, as Matt says, the the logistics of it really with with all the broadcasting um, legislations.
0: Mm, They're also suggesting that the government covered the entire cost of it, which I don't think would necessarily go down particularly well with a lot of people across the country, bearing in mind what we're coping with at the moment. Um, Another thing that, that was brought to my attention this week it's Mental Health Awareness Week. Something obviously we've all been conscious of during this this lockdown. Sam Kerr's agent now has has come out and said many of the players that he looks after have mentally checked out and actually want the season uh, to be ended because of that. Uh, Matt, is that what you're hearing from your players?
4: No, not at all. i was, I was surprised to read that. To be perfectly honest with you, um, listen, we we've we allowed the players to go home the, the minute we knew that we. The lockdown was coming and you're seeing it happen in other countries because we wanted to make sure that our players with their, their family and friends and their loved ones in this time um our, our players have been fantastic you know my, my fitness coach Colman and ej have really been at the forefront of that for us uh keeping in contact with them on a, on a daily basis with regards to the programming um we, we've i've kept in contact with them whether it's via email phone call text message just on a regular basis as well you know, just to make sure everyone's okay. People have struggled when it comes down to the individual training sessions and some haven't had access as much as others with different, um, you know, parks, etc. So that's been challenging. Um, But, you know, the last conversation I had with our players were, you know, they they were excited to come back and... Um, but obviously today's statement looks like that may not be happening now. But uh, but no, they've been they've been fine. And as I said, I was surprised to see that that statement because none of our players have checked out. They've had one or two issues when it comes down to the individual training here, yeah, That's tough. Um, but but they've been professional and they've got on with it.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. You're listening to the thoughts of West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson from The Times, alongside me, Faker, others on Women's Football Weekly. Uh, Now, as if the FA didn't have enough to contend with, they're still looking for an England manager to replace Phil Neville. We obviously did a Women's Football Weekly special on uh, Phil Neville's departure a few weeks ago when it was announced he'd be stepping down from the role in July 2021 when his contract ends. It took many people by surprise, um, including England goalkeeper Karen Bardsley, who's been speaking to talk sports Sam Matterface
6: when I heard about that I was I was really sad actually um, like you said uh, at the beginning of this conversation like I've not really touched the ball for a while and you know that means that I've not been able to be a part of the England setup for a while and you know that's something that's really close to my heart and I've found it really difficult but you know I, I, I rang him up straight away and was just like oh, gutted that you're gonna go but you know I, I hope everything, works out and everything like that. And he's like, well, hang on, we still got, you know, like the Olympics and we've still got all this to kind of look forward to. So like, don't get too sad just yet, you know? So I thought, okay, that's still pretty encouraging, but you know, I've, I've learned a lot from, from Phil. I think what I've recognized the most is like any relationship you have to, you, ha- you just have to start building it, you know, from day one. So I remember when we went to Manga and you know, he was, there were rumors that he was going to take the job and he showed up at our camp and it, it was, you know, declared official. And he, he, he stood in front of us and, you know, he was just very, very um, motivating to listen to. And, um, you know, I think what he's done for women's football in this country has brought a lot of attention to it and um he's he's promoted it in a way that we've never had before and I think that's been like absolutely enormous in terms of raising the profile of the game and changing the perceptions of you know women's football and women's sport in this country as well so um for me I'm massively grateful and like I said when we had to build our relationship we started from the ground up and you know he set out a few challenges for me and I think just like like any professional relationship, there's ups and downs and, you know, you kind of have personality clashes here and there, but on the whole, the challenges that he set out for me were were challenges that he knew would help me improve. And, you know, whether they were, you know, actually physical challenges or psychological challenges, I would say predominantly there are probably psychological challenges in terms of backing yourself and believing in yourself and getting to, your, getting to the point where, you know, you can compete at the highest level with the full belief and enjoyment that leads to a, a top performance. And I think that showed for me up in, up until I got injured in the World Cup. So um, yeah, I'm going to be sad to see him go just because I know how much he's done for me personally and, and for the team throughout the build up to the World Cup and throughout the World Cup. So yeah, um, I'm going to be sad to see him go. England goalkeeper
0: Karen Bardsley there speaking to Talk Sports Sam Matterface. So many questions still unanswered about Phil Neville's departure, uh, namely regarding his replacement, of course, and any subsequent handover. Molly Hudson from The Times, what's the latest?
2: I think it's sort of, as you say, it's as if the FA don't have enough to do at this precise moment. Um, so I think it's it's one of those that's, that's certainly bubbling away in the background and it is difficult because you know as, as we say we're we're not quite sure what's going to happen particularly around the olympics um i think for me personally and this is this is just my opinion i think it makes makes sense for whoever comes in to have that that good relationship and, and fulfilled to, to be a part of that olympic campaign in some shape or another you know we know the fa have said um, that ideally they want the, the person that will take charge of the home European Championships to also be in charge for the Olympics. And we know that that person isn't going to be Phil, but that doesn't mean that that Phil can't be around for that process because, you know, as we've, as we've just heard from Karen Vazley, he had really great relationships with the players and will continue to do so over the, the training camps in the coming months. So I think really for just for continuity, it makes sense for Phil to be around. It's just what that process is, specifically will be depends, I guess, on who on who comes in. Yeah, Joe
0: Montemuro, Arsenal manager, has put his hat in the ring saying, although he's happy at Arsenal, he'd be honoured uh, to coach England. Emma Hayes, constantly linked with the job in the press, but has confirmed she's extremely happy as the Chelsea women manager, which she's always said. And any Luko says Jill Ellis should just be England's main target. Matt Beard, West Ham manager, throwing your hat in the ring.
4: <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, listen, it, it, it'd be an honour to to be the England manager, but I'm only 42 and um, I'm under contract at West Ham and I'm happy there. One name I will throw in the ring would be Paul Riley of North Carolina Courage. Um, I think he'd be a fantastic candidate for the job as well.
0: What, what qualities does he have that would bring, because what we need to see from England um, is it, progression, don't we? What would he bring?
4: Well, you just got to look what he's done with that team. He inherited a team which was Western New York Flash before. Um, he won a championship in his first year there with a team that was expected to finish in and around, you know, the bottom of the table. Um, and since then, they've gone on from strength to strength. I think they've been in a final the last three three years, won it twice, lost once. So, uh, what what Paul is, he's a great motivator. But you just look at some of the players and how the players respond to him. Um, I see someone on Twitter the other day from Denise O'Sullivan, um, which got brought to her attention from from the media uh, with a moment with her and him. But I say I think he'd be a, a great candidate for it, um, and he's a proven winner. And I think that's I think that's what we need. We need someone that's proven in the women's game. We need someone that's um, you know that that can really take this team to the next level because it has been a frustrating year results wise for England. Um, and, and I think he would be, be a good candidate for that.
0: Absolutely right. You heard it here first on Women's Football Weekly. Paul Riley from North Carolina. Courage is Matt Beard's favourite to take over. Jill Ellis, nine to four at the moment. Emma Hayes also nine to four. Casey Stoney, Manchester United managers up there as well. Bev Priestman, who is Phil Neville's assistant at nine to two, and Nick Cushing, who's of course left Manchester City now, he is at ten to one. We still wait and see, but as we said before, the FA have a lot to deal with at the moment, so perhaps not their top priority. Ryan at this moment. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Rothers. I'm alongside West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson from The Times. And next, we're going to be discussing the FA's game plan for growth.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. And Airbnb, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
2: Wow. Nice.
3: Yeah.
0: What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
3: Bombas, big comfort for everyone.
1: Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: Women's Football Weekly with Fake Her Others. Hi, I'm Jordan Knobs, and you're listening
5: to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2.
0: This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with me, Faye Carruthers, alongside West Ham manager Matt Beard and sports journalist at The Times, Molly Hudson. Welcome along on this Monday evening. A couple of other things uh, going on this past week that we need to look into. Um, the FA has begun a review into its game plan for growth strategy. Uh, just a reminder of what that is. It was launched back in 2017 to boost participation in women's football. Uh, the governing body basically said the strategy for women's and girls' football pledged to double the participation and fan base in the game as well as looking to create a high performance system and talent pipeline uh, for England teams um, Molly Hudson from the Times when they released the figures uh, I mean growth over the last four seasons for so the past three years started with 6,000 affiliated teams they've now got over 12,500 I mean that's pretty impressive
2: Yeah it's 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 been really really positive for the women's game and I think maybe that's the area where we've seen the clearest progression really in participation in the fact that we've we've seen the World Cup and we've seen the Lionesses and, and that improved quality of the Women's Super League. And it's really paying off in terms of the amount of people watching it and therefore the amount of people that want to get involved in it. And I remember speaking to Baroness Sue Campbell about this earlier on in the year. And she was saying that, you know, it wasn't even just young girls. It was literally every single age group. And the FA have seen so many more people wanting to get involved in the game and actually that now the challenge is making sure they have uh, enough places to play in that they actually have enough coaches as well. Um, but it is a hugely positive, you know, you you just you see you see it for yourself in the numbers that that huge increase and how that can only be a positive thing for the game going forward.
0: Mm, Three point four million women and girls now playing football. Matt Beard from West Ham. What have you noticed um, at your club? Have there been more youngsters coming through, interested in what's going on, engaged in what's going on, and what's West Ham doing to to harness that enthusiasm?
4: Yeah, no, definitely. We've um, I've been down to the Wildcat Centers myself, um, you know, to to participate in uh, some of the sessions that that, that we've that we've been putting on as a club. Um, you know, we see a lot of especially from our Center of Excellence, our RTC, uh, a lot of the the girls that that represent the club that come to the games. Um, it, it's just great to see the growth, you know, over the last few years of attendances and right away way across the board. And, you know, when when you look at when they launched this, um, you know this plan, it was it was an ambitious one, and you know they deserve an enormous amount of credit for getting there. And even looking to the future, you know about going into schools and stuff like that. Now, contracting out, I think that's the, that's the next step for this this process
0: ambition is important. That's the only way you get growth though, isn't it? Sometimes to, to, to stick out something that looks unachievable and then actually go and achieve it. Um, looking into what Wales have been doing, the uh, Football Association of Wales have announced this week that they're going to be restructuring the women's game there. Uh, following a review, the top tier will remain the same, to top spot qualifying for Champions League. The second tier they will be regionalised with new northern and southern leagues and then the third and fourth tiers will become recreational leagues run by area. Um, area associations uh, this is for the 2021-22 season so not the season coming next the one after Molly is this a good thing?
2: I think so and I think I'm right in saying that that it will be particularly beneficial for the younger age groups coming through because their football is played at that north and south division or, or will be under this new plan it, it gives them a really clear pathway to get to the very top of the game and ultimately that that's what you want you want People to see, you know, we saw the Welsh team in qualifying for the for the World Cup against England, and and how great they were, and we we all went down to, to Newport for that that brilliant game against England, and you, you've seen the progression of the Welsh team um, in recent years, and it's really important that all of those new faces and those new fans captured that if they want to get into the game they have the clearest pathway to, to go and be one of those Welsh internationals and i think this is a big step in in helping them helping them achieve that
0: Absolutely. Um, The United States women's football team also, uh, this happened just after our show last week here on Talk Sport 2. They filed an appeal against the decision we were discussing uh, that was uh, dismissed their bid for equal pay. A a judge, I'll just remind you, rejected the players' claims that they were underpaid compared to the US men's side. Um, After that uh, pay claim was dismissed, striker Megan Rapinoe, who won the Golden Ball and Golden Boot at last year's World Cup, tweeted, we will never stop fighting." Fighting for equality and of course we've, we've talked before molly hudson from the times about this uh this ongoing row uh, do we think that there is now going to be a settlement really uh, based on that decision
2: i think it's 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 again it's one of those things that just rolls on and rolls on isn't it it's you know legal legal things like that tend to do that anyway and i think certainly it, it's not a surprise that they've they've filed an appeal against that decision i think You know it is so difficult and i think it's something that it's almost frustrating for me personally you think about megan rapinoe you think about all of those us internationals and the incredible things they've done for the game and yet almost every time we seem to talk about them is is based on this legal case and actually they're incredible in their own right and it's just so frustrating that that this case rumbles on and rumbles on and and obviously last week it it looked as though it it wasn't going to rule in favor of the women's national team obviously they've they've filed this appeal and you just have to hope that that in the future you know this this sort of thing almost isn't necessary you know and i think that's what's so important about this case it, it's such a landmark case and it's it's attracted so many eyes all across the world to, to see what this decision will be and hopefully it goes in the way of the women's national team and and kind of proves proves a point really because in a way, they're a completely unique case. And we're, we've seen that with the success they've had. And like, I always laugh when, obviously, just before lockdown, we was at the Sheba Cup and obviously there was merchandise store and you've never seen anything like it at a women's game. It, the, the fans are so passionate and, it, and it's such a big selling point and the players really are stars. And I think that that's so positive for the women's game.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, they are. I mean, look at Megan Rapinoe. She she's got an opinion on on everything, and she is most certainly not afraid to to voice it. And it, it is really creating waves and big change in the women's game, which potentially is very very crucial. Uh, speaking of uh, the U.S. women's national team, uh, can we just a little bit go back with a bit of nostalgia to the 2019 Women's World Cup because Ellen White, England striker, has been in conversation with Talk Sports' Sam Matterface in the new season series on TalkSport up front with where Ellen basically delves into the 2019 tournament and reflects on that clash of the Titans semi-final match against the USA and of course that missed penalty
5: I think first and foremostly I was more frustrated that I couldn't connect with the ball that Demi had crossed for the penalty I think that was really irritating for me because it was a foul that, yeah it was a foul she took my leg away so I think I was really annoyed about that and obviously you can probably see that I chased around the referee yeah just like a Tasmanian devil like chasing her being like you please look at VAR penalty I thought right she scored every single one in training you know she's super confident and penalty she's got a lovely technique um so I was really confident that you know she was going to step up and take it and yeah obviously I think as as a friend and obviously uh you know she's a really close friend of mine that you know when she did miss I think I just tried to grab her basically and just be like "It's, it's okay you know I would never ever say to anyone like you shouldn't have taken a penalty. You know, you're very, you're braver standing up and taking that penalty. Do you know what I mean? You're, everyone misses a penalty. Everyone misses. Like it's, even the best footballers in the world miss penalties. So it's nothing against anyone to take a penalty and then they miss. That's just what happens in football. And unlucky for us, it just it just didn't happen.
3: You didn't take penalties in that World <laughs> Cup. What? Why not? <clears throat>
5: We we obviously had a lot of uh, we took a lot of penalties in training and there was a lot of statistics and coaches that looked at everything and it was the manager's decision and I wasn't one on one of his top lists obviously to take penalties. Oh really? It the was, manager's it, decision. It
3: was his decision. It wasn't because you didn't want to take one.
5: I would yeah I would definitely put well I, I have put my hand up and said said that I will take penalties um, but but yeah, I wasn't I wasn't selected.
0: That was up front with Ellen White, uh, which is tomorrow at 7pm on Talk Sport 2, of course, talking about that missed Steph Horton penalty. They're very good friends uh, as well, aren't they? And I, I mean, I spoke to, to Steph after that penalty. She was absolutely gutted. There, there was a bit of a, a melee going on in the in the tunnel as well. Um, Molly, you, you were there out in France uh, for that. What are your memories of that
2: moment? Just the... the ap- it. I think you know for, for for any any journalist and you know you're ultimately when you're covering the national team of course you're professional and and of course in that moment is one of the biggest moments of my career in terms of actually having having things to write and how important it was but then there's that little piece of you inside as an England fan it was it's almost like you just can't watch it was just and, and it felt as if you know, as Ellen said there, the the penalty debate had already sort of been rolling on from from Nikita Paris's first miss earlier on in the tournament, and it was it was it was just it was just awful. It was really awful um, because you know the, there's nobody you wanted to score that penalty more than Steph, and and as Ellen said there, it it was so brave of her to step forward and and to to take the penalty, and you know you, you look at that penalty back and you say it was a poor penalty. But if the keeper dives the other way, it's a great penalty, and I think it's just one of those moments in football where you know it, it's, it could go your way and it could not, and devastatingly, it didn't go England's way.
0: Matt Beard, do you decide who takes the penalties at West Ham?
4: Uh, well, yeah, we, 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 we always put two penalty takers up there. Um, that's I decide it. We, you know, similar to, to what you, you heard Ellen say there, you know, you've got you bring him players that, that are specialists in, in, in different areas and um, I, I, I was lucky or I'm lucky at West Ham we've, we've, we've got Kenza Darley um, who's a great striker or a ball Martha Thomas so you know Kenza's a penalty taken and we have a second one in case he's not on the pitch um, but yeah ultimately we'll make them decisions Yeah, really players
0: Absolutely. Well, that, that, That's what was interesting about what, what Ellen had to say to, to, to Sam, that, that she wasn't top of the list. I know she doesn't like taking them because I'd interviewed her out there and she was like, I don't... I, she just always, whenever you talk penalties with her, went very, very quiet and just went, I'm not very good at penalties. Anyway, this is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. You're listening to the thoughts of West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson from The Times as well. Next up, plenty of WSL teams volunteering, getting up to all sorts of... Uh, Wonderful things during lockdown, and Chelsea's Beth England is cooking.
3: Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others.
2: Hi, I'm Carly Telford, and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2.
0: A very good evening to you. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker others and I'm joined by West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson. From The Times, now, everyone's getting used to the way our lives have changed and will continue to change, of course, because of the coronavirus pandemic. And it's certainly bringing the very best out of many people. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur women players and coaches have begun volunteering at the Food Distribution Hub in operation at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We've been hearing various uh, things like this. Uh, Matt, what have you guys been doing at West Ham?
4: A lot of our players are back uh, overseas, um, and I know Jilly uh, and, and Martha that were, were back here. You know, put stuff out on social media about sort of supporting people. Um, I volunteered today for a friend of mine. Uh, he owns a paving company called Mac Paving in uh, Surrey. He, he, I went and volunteered with him today, working f- for them. Um, but no, we, we, we've obviously been keeping the players fit in that sense, and. You know, the club have been fantastic throughout this whole process as as a whole. Um, not just us, but obviously the men's side as well and the academy side.
0: Yeah, really important, isn't it? You know, clubs are so so crucial in the community and, and to make sure that things are ticking along nicely and everybody within the community that comes and supports your club um, are looked after is vital. Um, Molly, I know that you've been hitting the streets. Tell us what exactly you've been doing because isn't this part of the Derby Rimmer Foundation?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, I came up with the idea, which is actually arguably a very stupid one, um, of basically the the women's media pack that obviously we've we've been in the press boxes all season. Um, We've been watching Steph being amazing, captain for Manchester City and for England. We thought we know that her husband is going through a really difficult time. We know that how important the Derby Rimmer Foundation is and a lot of people are doing the 100k May, Matt included, and um, we basically decided as a collective, um, it would be good if we all kind of pledged to do um, the 100k, but did it together. So, well, socially distanced, obviously, um, in order to help us kind of reach that goal and hopefully raise some more money as a collective, really, because we figured it, it would be a lot easier to to kind of communicate with fans um, all in one group. and yeah it's been equal parts wonderful because of everyone's lovely messages and we've raised over three thousand pounds, but also horrendous <laughs> the actual um running of the K. uh I'm fifty eight k in but that's over halfway well done yes, and i I can assure you I don't run usually um <laughs> so it's uh yeah do you know what I think it's actually been really good we we talk about mental health. And how important it is and actually it's been really good to get out and you know we're all working from home as as so many people are during the pandemic and it's been actually been really good to get out and and have that target to aim towards and know that you know as rough as it might be to run there's actually people in in a lot worse situation than you and it's and it's great to be able to raise some money and some awareness towards that so you're taking
0: part in this as well matt how how are you getting on what kilometers are you up to
4: um, I'm at, I'm just over fifty now. Um, like I said, You're I beating in Molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, I volunteered today for, for for my friend's company, and I'm at nearly twenty thousand steps. I've never worked so hard in all my life. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um, I've got to go out and do and, and do my run uh, after the show. So uh, how far are you doing? Wish me luck. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm doing uh, about three point seven k when I run. Um, I had a bit of a niggle in my groin sort of I think day four or five Mm. so I was walking sort of five, six K Um, so I'm trying to get the balance between the run and the walk just because you know like Molly said it was a great idea at the time but um, sometimes as I said I think I'm I forget I'm 42 and I, and I I sign up for these things, but it's for a fantastic cause. It really is. And it's just a cause that's close to obviously the WSL for so many reasons.
0: Absolutely. You've got under two weeks left, so you're over halfway. So keep it, keep it going. Uh, I'm very Thanks. impressed with both of you. My running days are well over now. I did a marathon about four or five years ago and that was my hip gone. So uh, all all kudos to, to, to both of you. Um Interesting, actually. Um, I know we heard from England goalkeeper Karen Bardsley earlier on. She's been in conversation um, with Sam Matterface. Um, she also has come up with another really interesting idea for us all.
6: I just think it's really important to make sure that the frontline workers, the essential workers, you know, people at the NHS and that they're keeping society moving and the economy moving while, while they can get their... They're just desserts, so to speak. You know, they they, they get what they deserve. And, you know, the, the train of thought that was kind of the um, the foundation of that comment was essentially that in this point in time, you know, you've got the, the clap. This happens on, on the Thursday. You've got a lot of people that are constantly sending praise out, you know, via their social channels and everything. Um, and essentially, these workers have become, you know, the the role models the superstars of um the lockdown period so yeah. why not you know they are they are role models they are the people that we look up to and wouldn't it be great you know if, if they, they have become they have become essentially like the footballers of or the professional sports people that you know we look up to at, at this moment in time so why not give them something that like kind of confirms their status in society yeah. like it just kind of happened when i was having a conversation with uh, with susie rack at the guardian and it was kind of like a bit of a uh, half joking comment but like the more i think about it i just think it would be so cool like i would actually love to see you know get like a book filled with you know people that you know either either you see every day like around around the neighborhood or the 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 like in society or you know just like really amplifying the good that people are doing
0: so I thought she said at the beginning exactly what she was planning on doing, but she didn't. So if anybody hadn't got the gist of that, she's planning on uh, making panini stickers. That was her suggestion: panini stickers, but for NHS workers. Uh, wh- what do you think about that, Matt? Fancy being a panini sticker? <coughs>
4: <laughs> Why not? Why not?
0: <laughs> what a fantastic idea, though. I mean that could that could raise some some serious money, Molly.
2: Yeah, and I think you know we, we see the the Banksy art where where the child is is not holding the the stereotypical superhero anymore. It's it's a it's a doctor or a an nurse, and it is true as as Karen says, they're actually the people that we're looking up to, not just in the way that we look up to footballers, but I think I think even more than that, the the way that they've they've put their lives on the line for for all of us, and um, yeah, I think. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm a, I'm a sucker for a for a card collecting uh anything that involves things like that. So do you know what? I'd I'd buy them, I think. Absolutely. Just finally, either of you into baking?
4: Uh <clears throat> not not really. No. <laughs>
0: you surprise me, Matt.
4: <laughs> no, oh, no I'll do the cooking around the house, but uh not not really baking.
0: So you haven't got into all this kind of banana bread um stuff that's been going on uh, chelsea's beth england i'm fascinated by her instagram stories because she's always baking something and the latest you've got to go and have a look on social media for this she's posted the most delicious looking cake it's got milky bars on the top of it and curly whirlies round the side and chocolate wow. fingers i mean Mary berry eat your heart out it just looks amazing
2: I don't think that's what you want to be eating when you're doing your 100k in (laughs) maize.
0: I think, listen, I I see it a very, very different way. I, I see it. If you're doing 100K in May, you're very justified in eating a cake like that because of all the exercise uh, that you're doing. Anyway, thank you both so much for joining me tonight on Women's Football Weekly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Matt Beard, we shall speak to you soon. Molly Hudson as well. I look forward to chatting to you both, hopefully in the flesh at some point soon. Uh, Thanks to West Ham manager Matt Beard and Molly Hudson from the Times for their thoughts. To Sam Matterface as well for some cracking interviews. And of course, thank you all for listening. Don't forget you can hear up front with Ellen White on Talk Sport tomorrow, that's Tuesday at 7pm. Next week we'll be bringing you another Women's Football Weekly special all about women in football with the organisation's founder and now Women's Sport Editor at The Telegraph, Anna Kessel and CEO Jane Purden. So don't miss that, 6 till 7pm on TalkSport 2 next Monday. Across the UK,
3: online and on DAB Digital Radio,
0: Women's Football Weekly on
3: TalkSport 2
0: a very good evening to you this is women's football weekly on talk sport two i'm faye Carruthers and i'm joined by
1: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more Plus.